Welcome to episode three of our Blue Cow Red Cow podcast, the only podcast from, that focuses on cattle reproduction and getting more cows pregnant the first time, guaranteed. Each month we'll provide you with thought-provoking interviews from university researchers, veterinarians and producers all on the topic of cattle reproduction. Hi, I'm your host Nick Iles with the Parnell's production animal team and this month we had the opportunity to interview Dr. Julio Giordano from Cornell University in New York. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Nick Isles here from Parnell, and I'm delighted uh, to be interviewing today Julio Giordano. Julio is the Associate Professor of Dairy Cattle and Biology and Management at the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at Cornell University in uh, New York. Uh, So good afternoon to you, Julio. Good afternoon, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, thank you. Perhaps you might want to sort of start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you you hail from Argentina, so we have one thing in common. We're both from the Southern Hemisphere. You studied there and came to the U.S. So tell us a little bit about maybe even going back a little bit further. Tell us a little bit about um, where are you from? So I'm from a very small town in a rural area of Argentina, uh, a small town called Balnearia in the province of Córdoba, Uh, which is the very center of the country in Argentina and it's an area where all that you can see for miles and miles is uh, croplands and cows so basically um, it's an area that is highly dependent on agriculture in general Mm -hmm. and uh, historically a lot of livestock agriculture more recently a little more crops due to some changes uh, in the economy of Argentina uh, but mostly dairy, a lot of dairy farms and, and, and beef, you know, some cow-calf operations and some uh, steers, uh, an area where uh, grazing mm-hmm. is still the predominant yeah. uh, form of uh, so cattle farming. So pastoral-based? Yeah, or 100% pasture, Okay. still the predominant yeah. um, type of farm probably 70-80% I mean in more recent times there has been a little bit of uh, competition for land with uh, crops in particular with soybeans and and with corn and therefore uh, there has been some pressure Mm -hmm. for land you know competition for land with cattle and uh, some cattle left and went to further north into the country where the land is not as valuable and it's less productive and for dairy farms a lot of them uh, the ones especially the ones that have stayed in business have gone into more uh, semi-confined or confined systems Mm -hmm. with some sort of dry lots when it's not raining yeah (laughs) and uh, some very few free stall dairies and uh, confined systems are 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 a new thing for for the argentina dairy industry therefore they, they are not as common and, and they, they have been learning, you know, they have been trying to adapt the system. But that, that has been a little bit of the trend. Yeah. And I come from a family of farmers, basically both of my grandparents used to farm. Mm-hmm. Actually, the farms on both sides of the family are still in the family, from mom and from, from dad, and actually my dad who is a veterinarian. Okay, uh, so yeah, yeah. there is a little bit of exposure the link, there. Yeah, to... yeah, actually a lot of exposure. So yeah. I basically, so I didn't grow up in a farm per se. Yes. But I I grew up going to farms pretty much every day. Okay. You know, through, uh, again, my dad. So I've been helped, you know, I, I was 
my dad's help since I can remember, since very, very early age. So. Yeah. Uh, and was I, he in a mixed practice or was he in a Initially, lot of yes. Initially, uh, so through the 80s and up to the mid to late 90s, my, my father was a mixed, he was into a mixed animal practice, but as dairy farms grew and grew larger, uh, he specialized more and more into the area. And today, he's still practicing, uh, he's in his mid 60s. And uh, it's hundred percent dairy. For the last ten, fifteen years, it has been just hundred percent dairy. Yeah. Just to keep up with, yeah. you know, the uh, increased workload with right. these larger dairies. Yeah. I mean, and um, my my dad happened to uh, work with some of the most progressive dairies in the area. And in fact, the area where I'm from is an area with a lot of progressive dairies. Yeah. Uh, it's an area that uh, has basically. Uh, changed quite dramatically and, and adopted semi-confined or confined systems more than many other areas in the country and because of that is that the demand for you know his job changed quite dramatically so basically that's you know has been my connection to uh, to cows and in particular dairy cows yeah. I had a, a love of dairy cows since I can remember so I, you know I, I basically then just didn't care much for the beef cattle and it was yeah. all around us and actually my dad so my dad farms um, beef cattle I mean only uh, beef steers 100% grazing still today but I, I had a particular interest on, on the black and whites so right. in Argentina there they're all hosting I mean yeah it's you know it's called Orlando Argentino which is like the Argentinian version of Holstein's basically with mostly American and Canadian genetics. genetics I mean, yeah. since the 60s, 70s, that artificial insemination became available, you know, it's like 95% uh, Holstein, Orlando, Argentina. And yeah. uh, I, I just like those ones. I yeah. didn't care much for the other ones. Yeah. And, so uh, how many dairy cows are there in Argentina? Uh, the size of the Argentinian dairy industry is about the equivalent of the Wisconsin dairy industry. Okay. So it's, so it's anywhere, yeah, it's about 1.2, yeah. 1.3 million dairy cows. There yeah. is 50 million head of cattle total right. in Argentina. So it's a predominant beef yeah. um, uh, industry. And, and dairy is, is about 1.2, 1.3 million. Right. So is that mostly then for domestic supply? I mean, do you get um, ex exported all? Uh, absolutely. Argentina yeah. is in fact the fifth exporter of dairy products in the world. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, wow. after Australia. <laughs> uh, and New Zealand. So, yeah, well, yeah, New Zealand and the US are the top ones, right? The yeah. EU, New the EU, the US, New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Then it's Australia and then it's Argentina. Okay. I mean, we, of course, with year-to-year -year fluctuations and and Argentina is a country with tremendous potential, tremendous potential for, for dairy production due to the land, the climate, uh, but there are some uh, limitations, uh, primarily from uh, government policies that right. have over time limited the ability of Argentina to become a much you know, bigger player in the world market. Right. Argentina has a lot of surplus milk production that could go out, but some government policies did not favor exports. Right. Well, for a moment there, you almost sold it to me that I need to move there. The but country's beautiful too. Yeah. Right? yeah. I'm, lots I'm, of cows, uh, yeah. lots of uh, great land, uh, but some uh, some political issues. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Since you you were carrying the bag on your dad, 
I'm sure that you're now tempted to, to give him some advice. You <laughs> did your DVM, so you are a veterinarian yeah. um, as a background, and you did that at uh, yeah. the Catholic University in Cordoba. Mm-hmm. And then you came to the US. And yeah. t- tell us a little bit about, you went first to, to Knoxville, where you did your master's. Yep. So tell us a little bit about your, your experience there. What, I mean, why the US? What was so attractive? So first of all, I mean, the, the why for, for graduate school, I, I basically, you know, as I worked a lot over the years with my father, and I, I noticed the, the major shift and uh, the, the needs um, for bovine practitioners. Basically, I, I realized that uh, you have to become an expert on a certain area that you cannot just know a little bit of everything and do well. That to be successful, you have to master a specific area um, of you know veterinary production medicine. You know whether it's nutrition, reproduction, health, uh, milk quality, and I always have a tremendous passion for reproduction. Uh, so that was my goal. I I wanted to become an expert in dairy cattle reproduction. And I don't think that there is a better place for that than the U.S. Yeah. You know, the U.S. It's always at the forefront of uh, research and uh, farm management. And uh, it was actually the only place that I looked for opportunities. And uh, the opportunity came about to come and do a Master's of Science at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, which is not a strong dairy state, but it was you know, the opportunity that, that I, I, I had. A foot, I mean, a foot in the door. A foot <laughs> in the door, exactly, yes. Uh, it was a fantastic experience for me. It, it opened up the door for, for me into the research world. And uh, I, I actually did research with dairy cattle working with um, the effects of heat stress on the reproductive physiology of dairy cows and, and trying to ameliorate reproductive performance during periods of heat stress. And, and it was a fantastic experience, but I, I wanted to continue my my research work and my studies at a, at a university where dairy was the staple of that university. And, and of course, University of Wisconsin was the number one candidate. Sure. Right? I mean, yeah. You know, so tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. So you finished your master's and then um, obviously uh, moving from Tennessee into yeah. uh, Wisconsin. And uh, you know you, you had some um, some pretty big players there at, yeah. at, at the University um, of Wisconsin and Madison uh, under Milo Wilbank, I think was one Paul Freaky, yeah, Paul Freaky, Doctor Paul Freaky and Doctor Milo Wilbank were you know my uh, advisors during my PhD. Doctor Paul Freaky actually was my uh, my main advisor, and just because of the way that they work, they they happen to collaborate a lot. Uh, they do a lot of research together, and uh, I was fortunate enough to work with both of them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was also able to work with another faculty in, in the Department of Dairy Science at Wisconsin with Dr. Victor Cabrera. So, um, with uh, Dr. Freaky and, and Dr. Wilbank, I, I learned a lot about physiology and management, reproductive management, of course, of, of dairy cattle. But with Victor, I was able to learn a lot about uh, economics and simulation, which uh, was a really, really great uh, addition to my PhD program. So I, I had the opportunity to work all the way from the ovaries and the uterus of the cow to the uh, dollars that are affected or generated or not from uh, from different uh, 
reproductive management program. So yeah. I, I, I felt that you know it was great for me to close the loop with mm-hmm. everything, not just focus on biology or management, but also on economics. Yeah. So that was pretty unique, and, and that was you know, an opportunity that probably could have not gotten anywhere else. Than, than yeah. And it was a fantastic experience. So some of the some of the things that uh, or the projects that you worked on, I mean, now are still in the. Um, they're online tools. Um, if we yep. just mm-hmm. folk talk a little bit about your work with Victor um, yeah. and uh, his involvement, I mean, he's working on some great projects now. The Dairy Brain Project. Yeah. I'm not sure if you're involved at all. And to some extent, and some, and I may be that. at some point. Yeah. Um, but um, but going back to that, I mean, basically, there, there must be five or six um, economic tools there that you can used to put in from looking at alternative breeding um, strategies from you know do I move from a pre-sync off sync to a double off sync and what is the economic benefit Um, so tell us a little bit about that because that that is quite interesting and particularly in today's time where people are um, not necessarily trying to save their way into profit but certainly be more profitable um, with some of the decisions that they make and you can't always do that on a dairy you can't always do your own experiments so you know some of the modeling is really the only way that we can Mm -hmm. conduct these experiments so Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that because I think um, you know many dairymen that I've spoken to sometimes a little bit skeptical about the the modeling tools that we have obviously they're they're not they're simulations but um, they're as close to what we can Mm -hmm. predict is happening so tell us a little bit about your involvement there and, and how those tools work well, um, first, I, I became involved with that area because I was in the middle of a couple of trials that we were running at commercial farms. I was very fortunate to work a lot with commercial farms. Pretty much during my whole PhD, I, I did experiments at commercial farms. And it was, in fact, the uh, producer that would ask me, you know. So now, with the results that we have from your experiment, what should I do, you know? And... The, the answer, I mean, most of the time ended up being, you know, uh, based on economics, right? So what's the dollar value of adopting one strategy versus the other? So I, I realized at the time that, unfortunately, it's really hard to make calculations uh, for all dairies just mm-hmm. based on data from, from a certain experiment. You know, the results may not apply to all dairies, right? And then that a lot of those calculations are very complex, uh, especially due to the uh, multiple factors that affect profitability of cows, and especially due to reproductive management, right? So you have all the way from the cost of inseminating cows to the value of getting a cow pregnant at certain days in milk, to the impact of pregnancy or lack thereof, on the replacement dynamics of the herd, the value of the calves born. So there are all these factors that are implicated that affect the profitability of dairy cows that are usually hard to quantify. Actually, it's really hard. I mean, that's why people, you know, struggle. I mean, you know, putting dollar values on on reproduction because it's really, really hard. And there is also this major lag time from the moment that you make changes and you observe the first you know, results and then how that translate into economics. So I, I I felt that it was necessary to create tools that were relatively user-friendly, right? And we, we tried to be as user-friendly as possible, right? 
but that would be flexible enough to allow, uh, in a way, uh, characterizing the different conditions of different dairies. Uh, and fortunately or unfortunately, simulation models are the best tools for that. And, and models are models, and simulations are simulations. And they may not be necessarily uh, perfect, and they would not probably uh, uh, predict, you know, dollar by dollar, what you know the changes would be. But they give us a pretty good idea of the direction and the magnitude of the differences between programs of interest. And um, that's when I started working with Dr. Cabrera, with Victor, and uh, we developed one tool first that today I say is very primitive and simple and you know as you get into this type of work you start realizing what the limitations are and how things could be improved so we went on with a second tool uh, that today is one of those available it's called the UWCU for UW Madison and Cornell University Reaper Money tool that uh, it's, it's pretty sophisticated it's, it's quite complex in the background and it allows any dairy farm and any dairy consultant to enter data to characterize the dairy of interest. So I can enter data for my own dairy, for economic inputs, for reproductive programs, for uh, the uh, characteristics of my cows, and it will simulate into the future mm -hmm. the uh, reproductive performance of cows managed with either what we are doing today or what we want to propose as our new program. And it gives you dollar value and it tells you you will either make more money or lose money if you move to the uh, new strategy. And that's the goal. Of yeah. course, there are a lot of other different parameters that are generated, but at the end of the day, is, you know, will you make more money or not if you move to the uh, uh, new program? So that's we developed. Yeah. And what was the name of that? Um, just again for our listeners, so if they wanted to find these tools, because they are yeah. freely available, they're, they're, yeah. they're, there's no charge so, to them. Yeah, absolutely. They, they can actually find them in the uh, extension section of the Department of Animal Science website for Cornell University or under uh, Victor Carreras. He has a fantastic website with a lot of tools there. This one specifically that I, I mentioned um, that we developed together with Victor is called UWCU Repro Money or Re Repro, repro. Dollar. Yeah, Repro and the dollar sign for for, for money, right? Well, I'm sure I'm sure many yeah. dairymen will will catch on to that, <laughs> yeah. and there'll be a flood yeah. of people going yeah. to that yeah. site. And we're always help um, very happy to help people. I mean, if, sure. if you know, uh, it takes. I mean, if you wanna. Tr you know, truly get to results that reflect your own dairy. There are quite a few inputs to enter there, and there are instructions on how to yeah. use it, and, and uh, um, it has to be entered in there. But we're always very, um, very happy to help. Um, well, that's great. Thanks very much, uh, Julio, for sharing that with us. And I'm sure many of our listeners will probably dial into that tool. I have used it myself before. I think the genius in it is actually in its simplicity. It might seem complicated yeah. in terms of all of the inputs, 
but certainly people should know as well that it actually simulates a number of times, doesn't it? I mean, you use some mm-hmm. sophisticated tools in there to actually run their scenarios, you know, not just once or twice, but, you know, tens of thousands of times to actually mm-hmm. give them the, the right sort of scenarios. Well, then that takes you then from, you know, your time at Wisconsin. So when did you move to Cornell? When did you get the opportunity to, to take up, I guess, almost residency here? What was the, what was the so, transition? So I, I finished my PhD in uh, 2011, at the end of 2011, and I stayed in Wisconsin for a short postdoc of six months and started here at Cornell in July of 2012. Okay. So it's been about seven years right now. So you came here in 2012, and then uh, you just last year, so in yes. 2018. Six years. Six after, years after yeah. you received your tenure. Yeah. So congratulations yeah, on thank that. Thank you. That must be some somewhat of a, a relief, but uh, you know, and I think when you really, if you sort of capstoned your journey, I mean, yeah. you you've now come to one of the most prestigious mm-hmm. um, colleges uh, and certainly veterinary colleges uh, in the world. And uh, here you are, you must be very proud. But yep. your dad's proud too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, the whole family. So, yeah, no, being here at Cornell, it, it's, it's great. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's a fantastic university to work on, in particular for what I do. I mean, for uh, somebody like me that works with dairy cattle and that needs to interact with and work with uh, commercial farms, uh, the, the state of New York is fantastic. I mean, we have... As everybody knows, I mean, a lot of dairy cows here, so we are the, either the third or fourth uh, state in terms of dairy cattle and, and dairy production. So we, we are very lucky to have also in the area a lot of very well-managed, progressive dairy farms that are willing to work with us on our research, and that's, that's unique. There are very few places in the country where that happens uh, and uh, Cornell is one of those and it's the only way that we can do what we do for mm-hmm. our research. So I'm very grateful to, yeah. to the dairy industry of your state and, and what Cornell has given me for my research. So. Yeah. And now, unlike Paul, who is actually part of an extension, you are 100% research, is that correct? No, or? no, 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 not exactly. So I'm, I'm 50% research, okay. 50% teaching. Oh, okay. So I... I teach two courses here at Cornell in, in our animal science program. I teach the advanced dairy herd management course and I teach a class on reproduction of dairy cattle. So all dairy cattle repro, so it's reproductive physiology and management of dairy cattle. Right. And I also contribute with other courses and activities that we have. So in, uh, in theory, half of my time should be spent teaching half of my time doing research. Yeah. So, so what's the reality? <laughs> the reality is what you said. It's 100% research and then you teach on top of that. And in fact, uh, in addition to both of my research and teaching duties, I, I, I think that I do quite a bit of extension outreach work. Um, so due to the nature of my research that is mostly applied, it's absolutely necessary for me to interact a lot with the dairy industry, with all players in the dairy industry, from farms to veterinarians, consultants. So I, I try to stay in touch as much as possible, and I also try to uh, disseminate the results of our research as, as much as we can. In yeah. fact, uh, within a, a couple of hours, I'll, I'll be giving a, a presentation to uh, a group of dairy producers and 
allied industry personnel about results of research that we have recently conducted. So yeah. I feel that it's part of our role to take back what what we get out of our research to the industry and, yeah. and see how we can help. Well, just as a purely from an observational perspective, I thought you were on the extension because you spend so much time <laughs> yeah. uh, presenting yeah. and you know you're very active in, mm-hmm. in that um, and not just in for, for New York mm-hmm. as well I mean you do a lot of um, work with you're an active member of the DCRC yeah. um, on the council there with them um, and uh, also doing a number of presentations for mm-hmm. other companies and, and getting yeah. out and spreading um, you know what we talked about earlier uh, which was about spreading the word about your research yeah. because I think many people do or many dairymen and, and others in the industry maybe there's a perhaps a, a, a slight um, lack of recognition of the work and the research that does go on behind the scenes so that mm-hmm. we can bring the latest science when talking to, to Paul Fricky, we were we were joking about you know off-sync was around in 1995 yeah. and I think probably double off-sync came you know 10 years later 2008. 2008. And, uh, you know, still there's a number of dairies that, you know, probably haven't looked to modify their mm-hmm. their programs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, bringing all that research to, to bear yeah. is a bit of a lag. I mean, you talked yeah. about lagging results in dairy. <laughs> I think there's almost yeah. a, a bit oh. of a, a lag in the adoption of yeah. some of the technology. Absolutely. Yeah. That is always the case with research. In fact, you know, some, um, I, I, I always, I always recall, I mean, this, uh, comment made by a researcher, not in a completely unrelated area to us, um, but they said that it, it takes about 10 to 20 years for your research to reach you know, your, um, your end user and to have a true impact. So it, it takes time. It yeah. takes time for adoption of management strategies such as synchronization or new technologies. I mean, anything that comes out of research, it, it takes some time. So. Uh, we, we do our best to disseminate uh, the results of our research, uh, but some things are a little bit slower than so we want. Good, good things take Yeah, time. good things, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to part one of our interview with Julio. You can access the UWUC Repro Money tool through the Cornell University Extension Outreach website, or you can find the full link in the description in our podcast. Don't miss out on part two on September the 3rd and learn more about his research in voluntary wait periods, dairy economics, and the dairy product he can't get enough of. You can receive updates on new podcasts and the latest information in dairy cattle reproduction by subscribing to our blog at bluecowredcow.com. From all of us here at the Parnell, have a great day and happy milking.